This is Daniel Hagedorn for Preparing Kids for Life at PK4L.com, and our podcast is for all things parenting. This is day 90 of our 365-day journey with you. You know, my wife and I are so passionate about helping parents reclaim their rightful place as the number one expert on their own kids. So our podcast focuses on time-tested principles any parent can learn and apply to give their children a childhood they won't have to recover from and to prepare them for life as the best version of themselves. So we talk about every parent's most basic fears because they were our fears too. Things like, I don't have what it takes to be a good parent or I'm not qualified or I'm gonna mess my kids up. You know, because as parents, we will do anything to help our kids. And since our ceiling is our children's floor, we owe it to them to always be learning and growing. For 365 days, you've been invited into our experiment, and we're committed to walking alongside your journey as your personal outfitters, guides, and allies every day, every step of the way. So we are continuing uh, going through the book, 10 Ways to Destroy the Imagination of Your Child. And obviously, uh, I say this each time, but just as a reminder, this is very much tongue-in-cheek. It's very much a way of sort of approaching it from the opposite side of things. In other words, what author uh, Anthony Esselin is saying here is, look, if these are the things that are being done to our children, stop it. Stop it, because these are the things that are destroying their imagination. And imagination is really the heart of creativity. And creativity is something children are born with. It literally has to be schooled out of them, which is, of course, I think one of the saddest things at all. But Esalen has just written written an absolute brilliant book. And I I mean, I could not recommend it more. I have a link to it uh, in the show notes, you know, all for every single episode, because this is just such a tremendous, tremendous book. It's just very, very insightful. And we're just, we're sort of doing a book club version of it. You know, we're just scratching the surface of some of the issues that he's raising here, but I think they're very important issues. And so this is sort of what he calls method five as, you know, one of the five, one of the 10 ways to destroy the imagination of your child. And he calls it method five is cast aspersions on the heroic and the patriotic. You know, one of the things that has happened is we are so starved for heroes that we have to invent them. You know, we, we, I'm not saying heroes aren't around. I'm not saying heroes don't exist. I'm saying what I guess society tends to view as heroes is is virtually no one. And so we have to go into Mar- the Marvel universe to find heroes, or we have to go into fantasy books to it. And I'm not opposed to those. I think those those have a great place. But I also want to suggest to you that there are heroes all around us. You know, one of the one of the best shows I've seen in a long, long time, and, and I've I just recently rewatched it, was Band of Brothers. And Band of Brothers focuses on the men of Easy Company. And what I think is particularly unique is that at the end of each of the episodes, some of the surviving members of Easy Company recount their experiences that were just portrayed in the previous episode. So it's kind of interesting. And then the the final episode, 
the the captain of this is is telling a story and and of course it's just an unbelievably heroic episode after episode after episode that these that these men did and again with with no mind other than you know what there's a job to do and we're committed to doing it i mean they were just amazing men very much worthy of our honor and our respect but this captain of easy company said he was having a conversation with his grandson and his grandson asked him one time grandpa are you a hero and he paused a minute and he said no but i know where some are buried and it was a very it was a very powerful moment and I have to say that while those men are certainly heroes, I'm going to suggest to you that we need to greatly and dramatically expand our notion of what a hero is. If you are living in a world full of hatred and you choose to love, that is heroic. When you are living in a world of selfishness and self-focus bordering on narcissism and you choose to be sacrificial and giving and selfless. That is heroic. When you choose to intervene on behalf of your children, even though it may not be popular, even though it may cut against the grain, that is heroic. You know, parents are engaged in a million and one heroic unseen deeds. And because they're unseen, they're not acknowledged. They're not, there isn't award shows right? Where parents get to dress up in $10,000 tuxedos and $15,000 gowns and walk down the red carpet to celebrate their parenthood. There aren't shows. There are shows for people that play parents on TV or in a movie, but there isn't one for actual parents. And there should be, even though, of course, that's not why parents become parents. But I think we need to expand our our view of heroes. And it's one of the things that I appreciate in this chapter that Eastland is trying to present is, you know, he's not saying, hey, th- this is not about, you know, my country always right. But neither is it about my country always wrong. You know, we live in a great country. Does it have flaws? Absolutely. Has it done shameful things? Absolutely. Do you know a single person who's lived a regret-free life? Do you know a single person who's never done anything shameful in their life or or someone who's never done anything that that they wish they could take back? I don't either. So, you know, I think what Eastland is is talking about in this chapter is, look, we can have an appreciation for our country. We can be patriotic about enjoying our country and having gratitude for our country and still at the same time point out its flaws still at the same time acknowledge that as great as our country is, it is not perfect. There are things that have happened in the past that we should be rightfully ashamed of. But we've also done a lot more good than bad. And one of the ways that we we sort of get into this notion that, well, maybe we are a bad country, is when we don't study our history. You know, one of the things that he references in is, is Orwell's 1984. And, and one of the things that Orwell talks about is if you want to change the present, change the past. So if you rewrite the past according to whatever politically correct, trendy view of today is, 
and you ignore facts and you ignore evidence because you're trying to paint a picture, you're trying to further an agenda, then you're creating not just a false impression of what's going on, but you're literally starting to destroy the imagination of a child because you're not giving them free reign to explore and arrive at their own conclusions. You are telling them to arrive at a predetermined outcome in their thinking. All of course in the name of you know political correctness, but which is supposedly for their own good. But what's actually for their own good is, you know what? Why don't we start championing the heroic? And again, that doesn't mean ignoring the flaws, but it does mean that, you know, it's just like a friend, right? Every single one of you and myself, we all have beloved friends of ours. Are those beloved friends perfect? Do they always do, think, or say the right thing? Of course not. Of course not. But overall, overall, they're great people and we love them for it. It's the same thing with a country. It's the same thing with heroism. It's one of those things that we need to start to redefine that. And you know, again, you, you, can, you can have, um, it's, not, it's not like it's bad to, to call things out. In fact, that's its own form of heroism. You know, because, because again, you're, you're talking about two extremes. You're talking about one extreme that no matter what happens in this country, it's bad. And then you have another extreme, no matter what happens in this country, it's good. And of course, you and I both know the truth lies somewhere in between. But overall, overall, throughout history, especially when you compare it to the history of other countries, we have something to be proud of. Not proud of in an arrogant way, not proud of in a, oh, we're better than you, let's look our down our nose at you kind of a way. But you know, hey, let's be grateful we live where we live and let's keep working towards progress. Let's keep working towards um, a better country, right? Let's, let's be grateful for what we have and let's always be pushing for better and always be pushing for improvement. I think that's something everybody agrees with. But one of the things that Esselin talks about here is that, you know, by, by taking away these heroes, who do children look up to? You know, children need to have somebody to look up to. And we, we tend to think of it being necessary that heroes are perfect. You know, kids are pretty smart. They already know that people aren't perfect. They don't expect, for example, parents to know or say or do the right things all the time. They do expect parents to be themselves. They do expect parents to own their stuff. And as we own our mistakes, we are teaching our children to own theirs. Because honestly, in 30 years of working with high school kids, uh, some of it in all different forms, but 14 of it in the classroom, I can tell you this, probably the only so-called unforgivable sin working with kids is hypocrisy. Is when you have two different faces, then, then they will eat you alive. But other than that, kids are incredibly gracious, incredibly forgiving, but we need to own, we need to own things. And so it's good. It's good to own things. It's good to to do that and move on and expect to be better. And part of this is teaching our kids, you know, there are, there are things that are worthy to look up to. 
you know, there, there are aspects to people that we can admire, even if there's other things that are seriously defective about that person. Um, you know, you could, you could talk about, say, Hannibal, and there's, of course, um, you know, the, the famed Carthaginian general who managed to, to seemingly defeat Rome at every turn before finally losing to Scipio. But the point is, is that you can argue whether he was sort of this noble figure or whether he was more of a bloodthirsty figure. The truth is probably somewhere in between as per usual. But the bottom line is simply this. There are elements of Hannibal that are worthy of admiration. You know, you can, you can admire certain things without admiring the whole person, right? And, and again, when we take that away from kids, when we try to modify this social construct of what they're supposed to do and, and do that thinking for them, we take away their ability to look at the good, to look at the bad, to look at the ugly, to look at the beautiful, to, to look at all these things and make their own determination about it. And so what Eastlin says, and I think it's a very insightful observation, is he says, the imagination seeks out the ideal and beholds its beauty. In doing so, it penetrates farther to the truth than does the sloth of cynicism. I love that idea. You know, it's so easy to be snarky. It's so easy to be cynical. It's much harder to see the beauty. It's much harder to see the ideal and to seek that out. Cynicism is lazy. It says, you know what? There is no ideal, so why bother seeking for it? Anybody who does is an idiot, so peace out. Yeah, you can do that. that that's a very shallow um, way to live. And of course, you know, then, then they can pretend to be insightful about their shallowness, in which case they've just successfully deflected yet another critique. But in any case, he goes on to say, anyone may see a wart or a mole. Faults abound in every man. The grime of life tarnishes us all. But the imagination forgives the blemish and attempts to see beneath the grime. You know, it's, it's like I remember the, the first uh, house that we got. It was a tiny little 910 square foot house in not the best neighborhood. It was really run down. It was built in 1940. We kind of peeked in the windows. The windows were grimy. I mean, it needed a lot of work, but my wife and I could see the bones of that house. We saw what that house could become and we turned it into something really amazing. Not, not because we had a lot of money. We had very little money, but, but we were able to do tweaks and adjustments and things that really brought the beauty out in the house the beauty that was there all along, if only someone might have eyes to see it. He goes on to say, when we apply this wisdom to our country, whatever that country may be, can we grow to love her enough to wish to correct her? As Virgil and Livy wished to correct their Rome, as Sidney wished to correct his England, you know, and that, that's the beauty of it, is you see the ideal, you see what the country could become, and rather than retreat into a safe, easy, shallow, superficial, slothful perspective of cynicism, we look at the ideal and we try to see what's possible. And instead, we seek out what could be. We find the beauty and serve to strengthen it through that vision.
But if we want to ensure that our young people grow up with the cramped imagination of the cynic, we should, if we cannot ignore the past completely, at least magnify the tarnish on those who came before us. In other words, he's saying, look, the best way to destroy the imagination of a child, which is the opposite of what we're trying to do, honestly, here. But he says, if we want to do that, then then we need to, to expand on, on what the cynic attempts to do. And, and we need to make sure that ignore the past as much and as often as possible. But if we can't, if we can't ignore the past, then at least tarnish the past so completely that um, we, we look at the past only through a negative light. Only through a negative light. He says, we should emulate God's creation of man in his image and likeness but in reverse, as through the wrong end of a telescope. So in other words, if we're trying to destroy the imagination of our child, we, we focus on as many tiny faults as we can. It's kind of like, you know, if somebody wanted a million dollars and then the, they were given that million dollars, but then complained that it was all in dollar bills. I mean, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're focusing on the minutia. You're focusing on you wanted it in $100 denominations. You received it in $1 denominations. How about just being happy that someone gave you a million dollars? I mean, why are you getting all hung up that it's in dollar bills instead of $100 bills, right? And that's kind of what Esalen is getting at there. He says, we should make everything small like ourselves. That will leave us with quite a sense of moral and intellectual superiority. Because again, it's we can be morally and intellectually superior the more we're able to point out all these little flaws. And that's more deadly to the imagination than the spears of Hannibal's soldiers to the Romans at Cannae centuries ago. And again, this is where he kind of concludes talking about, you know, this is so important that we, we continue to focus on the ideal because the ideal inspires us to continue to pursue it and go after it. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Thank you so much for listening. There are literally hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there. You chose to give our, your time to us. We're so grateful for that. Definitely check out our website, pk4l.com for more resources. And please click on the link in the show description and download your free ebook, Building an Emotionally Safe Home, as our gift to you. Remember, we are with you every day, every step of the way. Until tomorrow, have a great day. Thank you.